You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Okay, we're going to be in Psalm 79 this morning, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, this would be a good time to do that and have that out and open um, on your lap. And my plan this morning was to enjoy a sermon by listening um, to that sermon with you this morning, um, as Jeff Garner was going to be preaching this morning, and uh, to enjoy um, the Lord through worship and song with you this morning. Um, but the events of the last week just made me think that that would probably not be the wisest plan this morning, and that I probably need to, and I would like to, think through some of the events of the last week with you, frame this in a biblical context to help us think through these sort of things, and most importantly, to just lead us in a time of praying for these sorts of things. So here's kind of my goal. If you were here in the little intro time, I told you that we're going to spend about half of the time that we would normally dedicate to a sermon on a sermon this morning. And we're going to spend the other half of our time just praying together corporately for, for these sorts of things that are happening in our country right now. So my goal this morning is to just get us ready to pray together. I want to just kind of prime the pump for that and to help us consider Psalm 79, just a couple of verses out of Psalm 79, to give us a language to be able to pray with this morning, things to be able to, to, to ask the Lord for this morning. So with that said, uh, Psalm 79 would be helpful to have that out and open on your lap. It's going to take me just a minute to get there, though. So let me start by saying this. Um, when you think about the Bible, it is a big book full of many different kind of components and parts. It, 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 that one big book of the Bible also has 66 books that makes up this one book we call the Bible. Uh, but it's so important for all of us to see that when you think of the big book with many subparts to it, the Bible, that you know that the Bible has one story to it. It's got one main stories and all of these um, kind of parts of the Bible are all contributing in their own unique ways to this one overarching story. Now, there are many ways to talk about that overarching story that is the storyline of the Bible. But I think one of the clearest and most compelling ways to talk about the Bible and the story of the Bible is through the theme of the kingdom of God. It's a theme that runs from start to finish throughout the Bible. And when considering that theme, that there is a way that that theme lifts out of the Bible, the big story of the Bible so that we can clearly see it. So if you just think about the kingdom of God, let's just start with what is the kingdom of God. If you want to think about like when the Bible mentions the kingdom of God, it is talking about the place of God's reign or his rule. The kingdom of God is when his reign and rule is felt in an experiential place among a group of people. This is the kingdom of God. It's the place where the king reigns, where his enemies are scattered, where his subjects, you and I, his servants, are, are flourishing. We're living the sort of lives that we were meant to, to live. This is the kingdom of God. Now, that theme helps just kind of lift out of the Bible the main story of the Bible. So if you think about um, this kingdom of God theme, just as a brief overview of it, you would start in Genesis 1 and 2. This is when the kingdom of God starts. God makes us and he places us in the Garden of Eden in a perfect place where a human being just like you and just like me could flourish and become everything that God would want us to be. Um, the Hebrews had a, a way, a word of describing what life was like in the kingdom of God in Genesis 1 and 2. And they used the Hebrew word shalom to describe that. Uh, the, the word shalom is, is talking about, it's a way of saying that every part of life is as it should be. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Every part of life, everything about life is as it should be. So how we're relating to God is as it should be. How we're relating to ourselves is as it should be. How we're relating to other people is how it should be. How we're relating to creation is how it should be. Everything is perfect. 
It is the ideal world that your heart has always wanted. That is Genesis 1 and 2. Now, if you know the storyline of the Bible, you know that lasted all of about two chapters, right? So you have the kingdom of God begins in Genesis 1 and 2. Then you have Genesis 3. And this is where the kingdom of God, because of our treason, begins to crash. So if you know the storyline in Genesis 3, our first parents, Adam and Eve, ate the forbidden fruit. It's the, the picture of sin in the Bible. And one of the ways to think about sin is it is cosmic treason. It is us, every time we sin, not just our first parents, Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, but every time you and I sin, it is as if we are saying to God, you get out of the, the place of authority in, in the kingdom. I, I'm gonna dethrone you. And here's what's about to happen, God. I'm gonna be sitting in that place of authority. Every time you sin, every time I sin, it is an act of cosmic treason of us trying to be in the place of God. And this is what happens in Genesis 3. Sin is introduced into the world. Treason happens. And with that treason comes the crashing of God's kingdom. And if you read forward in, in, in the biblical narrative, here's what we find uh, in, at the end of Genesis 3. Um, our first parents, and just as a representative of us, they are kicked out of the garden. They're no longer experiencing the felt presence of God, his good reign and rule in their life in the same way. That the kingdom of God has crashed down around them. They are no longer relating to God in a good way. Their relationship to God is now broke. And then as you read forward from Genesis 3, you know, through the rest of Genesis and on, uh, you know, into the rest of the Bible, here's what we discover. When their relationship with God broke, our first parents, when their relationship with God broke, every other relationship in their life broke with it. This is what we're seeing as the story plays out as the kingdom of God comes crashing down. But here is the good news of the gospel. This is the, the main point of the Bible is that God doesn't leave us in our, this broken down kingdom. He doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us to our own devices to go fend for ourselves. He comes with the intent of rescuing us. He sends Jesus, his one and only son, his beloved son, to live for us, to die for us, to, to rise from the dead on the third day, all so that this kingdom could be restored, so that we could actually get Genesis 1 and 2 back. Now, it's interesting. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus is coming onto the scene. In Mark chapter one, these are the first words that Jesus speaks in his public ministry. And I think it's an interesting thing that, you know, when you're thinking about this is that if Jesus has got his first kind of moment to talk about what he's come to do, how is Jesus going to talk about that moment? And I want you to listen to the way Jesus talks about it. He talks about it like this in Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15. He says it like this. He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So Jesus is now about to open up his mouth. John is arrested. He is, John's out of the way. Jesus has now got center stage. He is about to open up his mouth and define what his life, death, and resurrection are about to accomplish, what he is about to do. And this is the way that he describes it. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, isn't that an interesting way? In a sense, in this passage, Jesus is summarizing the point of his life, death, and resurrection. And here is how he summarizes his life, death, and resurrection. What he is living and dying to accomplish. He is summarizing all of that by saying, with me, with my life, death, and resurrection, with me, the king, with King Jesus, is coming the kingdom of God. 
This is how he is describing what he is doing. He is saying here in Mark 1 that here is what I'm living, dying, and rising from the dead to accomplish. I am doing all of those things to restore the broken kingdom of God, to restore what has been lost, to restore what your treason has destroyed. I am coming to do that. Now, then the question becomes, well, what is this kingdom of God going to feel like? What's it going to look like one day? See, Jesus has come to start the, the, the kind of the reclamation project, the restoration project. One day he is going to return to finalize that project. And, and the question is, what, what is that finalized product going to look like one day? Now, I just want to, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament for a few minutes, and I just want you to listen to three prophetic voices in the Old Testament talk about what this future kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that is, that, that the reclamation project has started in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and will one day be finalized at his return. What is that finalized picture of the kingdom of God one day going to look like? Let, let me give you three Old Testament snapshots of this really briefly. The first one is from the prophet Isaiah. Listen to Isaiah's prophetic voice talking about what the kingdom of God is going to be like. I'm gonna start in Isaiah chapter two, verse four. This will be on the screen for you. Isaiah says, he, talking about God, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall, there, shall they learn war anymore. Coming down to chapter 11, verse 6. The wolf shall, lie, shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Can you believe that day? I mean, I think in an essence, if I were just summarizing what, what he is saying in this passage is the kingdom of God is going to be a just place and a safe place. That, that no human being in the kingdom of God will have to worry about justice or safety ever again. Can you believe that day? When, when there would be no need for a military? When there would not even be a need for a police department, a fire department? There would not be need for like a lock on your door? I mean, can you believe that sort of a, of a safe place? He, he's saying, this is what is coming for us. Can, can you imagine a place that would be so safe that, that an apex predator, a lion, could be led around by a little child? He is saying that is what the kingdom of God, the felt presence of God among his people in his place, that is what it's gonna be like. It is gonna be a place of ultimate justice, of ultimate safety. This is the incredibly bright future he is saying that is awaiting every son and every daughter of God. Let me go on, Zephaniah. Listen to how the prophet Zephaniah describes the kingdom of God. This is in chapter three of Zephaniah, verses 19 and 20. This is gonna be on the screen for you for easy access. Zephaniah says this, behold, at that time, I will deal with all of your oppressors. Again, it's gonna be a place of perfect justice. No human being will have to worry about injustice for another second of their life. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all of your oppressors 
and I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And listen to this next phrase. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Now, I, love, I just want you to, to see that, that phrase. I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. And I want you to notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to, um, I'm just gonna sort of add a little bit of praise to the shame that you have. That's not what he says here, is it? He doesn't say, I'm gonna add a little praise to your shame. He says, hey, you know your shame, you know all those places in your life where you have blown it and you're embarrassed even to talk about it? You're so embarrassed by it that you couldn't even talk about it. He's saying, I'm gonna take all of those places in your life that are full of such deep shame for you. And I'm not just gonna add praise to those elements of shame. I'm gonna actually turn that shame into praise for you. I'm gonna so upend your shame that it's no longer going to be shame. It's going to be praise and renown for you. And then he goes on to say, I'm going to restore your fortunes for every place that a son or daughter of God has lost something on the way of following Jesus. And listen, if you haven't lost anything following Jesus, it probably means that you're not following Jesus. Following Jesus means that there's things that you're not going to buy because you love Jesus. You're not going to do because you love Jesus. That You're going to forego now because you love Jesus. And, and, and here, Zephaniah is saying, everything that you have uh, have foregone now, everything that you have lost now, everything that you have willingly let go of now, God is going to restore every bit of that. Maybe you could think of it this way. No one is going to get a raw deal in the kingdom of God. No one is going to. Let me give you one more of these. Jeremiah chapter 31. Listen to Jeremiah's prophetic voice when he's looking forward to the kingdom of God. And just let this passage amaze you. I mean, if you want to look at one place in the Bible that just should put a song in our hearts, this would be that place. Jeremiah 31, verses 12, 13, and 14. He's looking into the future and he is saying, here's what's going to happen in your future if you're a son or daughter of God. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. Unlike our world now, there will be nothing to be sad about. I just hear that. In the, in the incredibly bright future to come for us, there will be nothing to be sad about. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord. They shall be radiant over what? Over, they're gonna see God for who he is and his goodness and their faces are going to come to life. They're gonna be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, over the wine, over the oil, over the young of the flocks of the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden and they shall languish no more. Can you believe that? Let me just read that to you one more time and just hear this. Like, do you believe that this is coming for you? That this is what Jesus died to accomplish, the reclamation of the kingdom of God, where this would be true. Where we would all say, where God would say of our time there, they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, over the wine, over the oil, over the young of the flocks of the herd, and their life shall be like a watered garden. Who wouldn't want that life? Their life shall be like a watered garden and they shall languish. They shall despair no more. It's gonna be a place full of hope 
a place full of enjoyment, a place full of delight. Verse 13, then shall the young women rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. Hear that again. He doesn't just say, I'm gonna add a little joy onto their mourning. No, he is saying in every place that you would weep and grieve and lament in this fallen world, in that particular place, that place right there, that ache right there, that ache is going to be turned into joy later. Not, Not just joy added to it, but actually turned into it. He goes on. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. So wherever there is sorrow in our heart, here's what we can look forward to a moment where all of that sorrow is turned into gladness. Verse 14, I will feast the soul of the priest. Now just hear that when you hear that word priest, that the Bible says that the kingdom of God is going to be a kingdom of priests. If you're a son or daughter of God, you're going to be experiencing God in his full and unfiltered sort of presence. So, so we're all gonna be priests of his. I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Do you see what the Lord is promising here in the kingdom of God? He is promising a time and a place where his people in his place under his rule will be satisfied forever with his goodness. That that is the future kingdom of God that we can all expect to experience. If you want to think about the kingdom of God and this incredibly bright future that's, that's awaiting you, here's maybe one way to think about it. It's everything you want life to be now that life just never is for you. That is what you can expect. It's gonna be a place where a human being just like you and just like me can flourish forever. That's the kingdom of God. Listen, this is not just some sort of naive optimism. This is rock solid realism. Jesus died, he lived, died and rose again to accomplish it. And he is coming back one day to finalize this, to bring the fullness of it. This is the incredibly bright future that is going to happen for every son and daughter of God. Now here's the turn where I want us to feel this moment together. What are the people of God to do when we look into our future and see that is the future awaiting us, the kingdom of God. We know that Jesus has started it. The reclamation project is underway. The restoration project is underway. We know that he is going to one day come back to finalize and bring the fullness of the kingdom of God. But what are the people of God to do when we're looking at these Old Testament promises of what will be and at the same time we live through the last week? We lived through a week that began on Wednesday with a video of a man in Baton Rouge who was killed. Then on Thursday, another video surfaces of a man named Philando Castile in Minneapolis who was shot. A lady beside him, a young girl, three or four years old in the back seat. And I'll just tell you, when I I watched those videos, it just shook me to the core. It scared me. Then right on the hills of that, you have a man open fire on police officers, killing five officers, wounding seven more and two civilians. And I'll be honest, when I'm watching that, it scared me. 
Like, like what, what are we to do when we're watching? Here's these great Old Testament promises, but then we live through a week like that. Then, then right on the hills of the Dallas shooting, um, on Friday, another police officer makes a routine stop. He is walking back to his car and he is ambushed by the guy in the car and shot and is fighting for his life. And it begs the question, what, what are the people of God supposed to do to this? Now, now, here's the thing. Even across this room, the experience of the last week, how we interact with that, with what we, we encountered in the last week is gonna be varied across this room. There's gonna be a lot of nuance to it. We're all gonna feel in, in much different ways, but I think we can all agree to this about the events of the last seven days in the life of our country. It's not the way that things are supposed to be. Can we all agree with that? This is not the way things are supposed to be. There were seven men who were alive a week ago who are not alive today, and that is not the way the world is supposed to be. It's just not. This is not the way God created it to be. It's not the way it started and it's not the way it's going to end. We are in an abnormal time where things are not right. They're, they're not right. So that produces the question then, if we're living in a time where we're seeing what was in Genesis 1 and 2 and what will be in the finalized kingdom of God that Jesus has, has started and it's underway, how are the people of God to, to, to operate? How are we to experience moments like this? What are we to do in moments like this? What should dominate our conversation and prayers to God in moments like this? And here is the reason that I love the Psalms. There is never going to be an experience that you will ever experience in your life. I don't care if we're talking about the, the best things that you'll experience in this life to the worst things like this week. There will never be a moment where you experience life in this fallen world where the Psalms will not give you a language to talk to God about that. This is one of the most beautiful things about the Psalms. It gives us a language that fits every moment. And it especially gives us a language to talk about our grief, about our groanings, about our cries to the Lord. Let me just give you two things that Psalm 79 are going to give us, two, two things that it gives us here. Number one, Psalm 79 gives us a language for lamenting. It gives us a language to lament to God, to cry out to God. See, the, the Psalms of lament are meant to be prayed to God in our grief. They're, they're meant to be prayed to God in the middle of our groans. The, the songs of lament are really cries to God. And Psalm 79 fits that. It is a song of lament to God. Now think about what is happening in Psalm 79. That the people of Israel have just been ransacked by the Babylonians. The Babylonians have stormed into Jerusalem. They have turned Jerusalem upside down. The temple is laid in ruins. There are thousands of people who have been slaughtered in the streets. Their bloods have soaked the streets and they're just being left for dead without a proper burial. The ones who survived that, many of them are being hauled back to Babylon. It is a time of tremendous grief for the people of God. Now, how do the people of God talk to God in this moment? They know all of these Old Testament promises. They know, they know what Zephaniah says. They know what Jeremiah says. They know what Isaiah is saying. So, so how are they to interact with God in light of these incredible promises of what will be and then at the same time living their life now? How are they to interact with God? Psalm 79 gives us a language for that. The Psalms give us a language for that. Psalm 79 verse five says it this way. 
How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Here is the cry of the Psalms in the middle of moments where life now does not match what life will one day be. It's the cry of how long, O Lord, how long? And you see that cry, if you just started at Psalm 1 and you just read straight through to Psalm 150, you're gonna see that cry all throughout the Psalms. Let me just give you some some examples. uh, Psalm 6, verse 3. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 35, verse 17. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. Psalm 74, verses 10 and 11. How long, O Lord, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Have you ever just asked the Lord, God, why aren't you doing something now? Why are you waiting? See, this is the cry that the psalmist has here. Psalm 82, verse two. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever experienced life in such a way where it produces this cry in your heart of God? It just feels like you're not operating in a just way. How how long is this going to continue? Psalm 90, verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Psalm 94, verse 3, how long? O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exalt? Psalm 119, uh, verse 84, how long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? See, this is the cry that should be produced when we watch two African-American men shot and killed. This is the same cry that should be produced when we watch five officers shot and killed, seven others wounded, two other civilians wounded. It is the cry that should be produced in every son and daughter of God when we experience life in this fallen world and know that this is not the way life should be. It's not the way life will be. The cry of how long, O Lord, is the groan of the sons and daughters of God who are grieving with God over the brokenness of this world. And the Psalms give us a language to cry that out to God, to cry out when we feel injustice, to cry out when we encounter evil, to cry out when we encounter wrongdoing. It gives us a language to talk to God about those things. So the Psalms give us a language for lamenting to God. Secondly, the Psalms give us a language for our pleas to God, for our requests to God. See, two of the things that the laments always have in them are complaints, are just the groanings, the lamenting, And the second thing it always has in it are requests, pleas to God. Now I want you to listen to what the psalmist in uh, in, uh, Psalm 79 cries out and asks the Lord for. Here's what he prays for. Verse eight, do not remember against us our former iniquities. That that was prayed corporately on behalf of the people of Israel. And that should be prayed corporately on behalf of our country. I mean, we should not be so blind as to think that if God remembered the iniquity, let me say this again. We should not be so blind as to think that our country is so perfect that if God remembered our iniquities, he would be happy with us. Our country is full of plenty of iniquities that deserve ruin from God. 
And if he remembered those iniquities, that's what we would be getting right now in this moment. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us for we are brought very low and we have been brought low, haven't we? And if there is one thing we need from the Lord, it is compassion and grace afresh. Verse nine, help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Notice the request. He prays, God, help us, deliver us, rescue us, do something for us, God. That's the request. And listen to the foundation for the request. Why is he praying this? Not mainly for our sake, but God, for your sake, for the glory of your name so that you would look good. It's a request that the psalmist is saying, God, will you please flex your muscle and help us so that now the world can see how great and how good and how powerful you are, God. See, he's given us a language for our pleas to God. So here's how I want us to spend the rest of our service. I want us to spend the rest of our service crying out to God for help, for, for allowing this psalm to form the language for our praying to God, for our lament to God, for our request to God. Now, I'm gonna just invite you to do this individually. If you're like, hey, man, I just really feel uncomfortable praying to myself. But if you feel comfortable praying with people, I would invite you to maybe get one or two people around you and you can pray with them. But we're gonna spend the rest of our time in our service praying about these issues of the last week. And I wanna just introduce, I'm gonna, we're gonna introduce three or four issues and allow you just to spend time where you are and us corporately together praying for these things. And here is the first thing that I want you to pray with me for. Thing number one, it'll be on the screen for you. Let's pray together for the racial divide that exists in our country. Okay, this is not just a black, white thing. It is an all race thing. But in light of our country's history, there is no doubt. And by the way, that's the history of whites doing many atrocious things to African-Americans. And in light of that history, this is where the divide runs the deepest for us. And so let's pray that God would help us. And here's the great news. According to Ephesians chapter 2, the, the Jew-Gentile division was as deep as any division that exists between any races today, any ethnicities today. It is as deep or deeper than the African-American white division that we have in our country. It is that deep or deeper. And do you know what Ephesians 2 shows us? The gospel is the one power in the universe capable of bridging that gap and healing that wound. So let's pray that God would do that. So where you are, I'm gonna give you time just where you are. You can join with a person or two around you if you like to pray with them. But I'm gonna just give us some space right now for us as a church family to cry out to God and to ask God to help heal this divide that exists right now in our country. So there where you are, feel free to begin praying now for that. I've asked my friend Andre to just finish this little section of our praying together by praying with us and for us. Father, this morning, hearts are hurting. And Father, we are crying out this morning, asking you how long? How long before you bring healing to our land? And so, Father, we, your people, who are called by your name, we humble ourselves this morning. And Father, we seek your face. 
And we're asking that you would heal our land. That, Father, you would bring unity. Father, we pray right now in a moment like this. And we call upon the name of Jesus this morning. Mm -hmm. Because, Father, the song that we sung earlier this morning is so true because there is power in his name. Mm. There is power to break the chains of bondage. There is power to tear down the walls of division. There is power to bring unity where there is division. Father, we pray now that you will heal the deep wounds of this nation. That, Father, you would allow us to see each other for what we are. Father, we are, we are image bearers. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see that that you would give us eyes to see each other as such and that, Father, through those eyes, we would lock arms and link arms, Father, and walk together. Father, I pray that you would soften the hardened heart this morning mm-hmm. and that, Father, you would bring about healing where there is pain that you would bring about joy and love where there is anger. That, Father, you would bring about peace where there is fear. And we have full confidence this morning that you can do those things. We have confidence because we look at the cross. What greater divide has there been than the division that there is between humanity and yourself? And yet still, even in that, you found a way to bring unity. You found a way to reconcile, and that way is through your son and what he did on that cross. And so we look to that cross this morning, and we find hope for unity. We find hope for reconciliation, and we find hope for healing. We thank you for your son. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we have hope and we have a reason to ask for you to bring healing this morning where there is division. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andre. The second thing I want us to pray for is for our police departments and the officers who and their families who were shot and um, killed this week. You know, when I think about um, a police officer's job, I honestly cannot imagine a more difficult job, especially right now in just light of just culturally where things are. It is a difficult, difficult job. So let's pray for them. Let's pray they would feel affirmed. Let's pray that they would feel encouraged today. Let's pray that they would be good representations of the authority that, that God has bestowed upon them. And let's pray for the families who were shot. I've listed the names of those who were killed this week. And so you could pray for those 
families by name this morning. There's also seven other officers wounded this week, uh, two civilians, another officer in Missouri that was wounded this week. So let's spend time praying for that. And then my friend Brandon is gonna come up and close us in this section. So just there where you are, and you can feel free to pray out loud, just there where you are by yourself with a group of people around you. So let's pray and ask the Lord for help in this area. Lord, as we think about the police officers, first we wanna say thank you Lord, in Romans 13, we know that the people that are here on this earth that are put in places to protect, they are designated by you, allowed by you, and we thank you for the protection of the police in America. We thank you for the protection, the officers willing to step outside knowing they can be in a situation such as Thursday night. We thank you that you knew those men were going to be brave enough to stand when those ran, to fight when everybody was fearful. Lord, we thank you for these men. We thank you for the people that are, that are now going to, ha- they have to basically shake it off and get back to work. Lord, we pray specifically for the department that they will have the courage to do their jobs and not go out in fear, but, in tr- but trusting that they are the ones called to protect this city, that they are the ones that you have given the position and power to help keep our city safe, streets safe. And Lord, we just pray that, that the officers, while they're mourning, Lord, that bitter roots will not rise up in them, that they will be motivated for justice, not to seek vengeance, but that they will be motivated to stand by their badge, protect and serve, that they will lead the people in the city that are hurting. Show them what it looks like to bounce back and unify. Show them what it looks like to be a city of officers that cares for all civilians. That they won't let the skin color of whoever they are approaching affect them. Lord, we ask that you give them a boldness to not see a, a, a person and see fear and think of all the past tragedies that may be related to one race. But Lord, that you will give them the courage and the boldness to walk in there and do their job according to how they have been trained, Lord. We pray for the families of those that have lost the officers, mm-hmm. that they will be that they, will, that they will find comfort if they are not believers, that, that you will send believers their way, that they may see you in the love, past compassion, and grace that has been shown to them by believers coming to their aid. That, that there will be people that, that are your light, the light of the world, that will show up on their doorstep and comfort them. We pray for the families, Lord. We also pray against bitterness for them. In these moments, it is easy to take this moment and project all your frustration on a movement such as Black Lives Matter. But Lord, we know that this is the enemy at work. 
the enemy trying to divide a country even more than it already is. And so we come against that together. We stand firm on your word, Lord. We believe that that new kingdom is on its way and that as members of Stonegate, we will help be conduits of the unity that Dallas needs, the unity that exemplifies the reconciliation of the world that we have seen through Christ Jesus. As he has reconciled us, Lord, help us all to be the great reconcilers to our city, our city that needs us. And we pray for the, the, uh, the uh, department as they go out and do their job. We thank you. We love you, Lord. Be with them. Thank you, Brandon. That was so scary. <laughs> okay, I'm back. I'm back. <clears throat> oh, wow. Not only should we be praying for our police officers, we should be praying for them. Um, when I just witnessed what went down on Thursday, it scared me. I just can't even imagine what it would feel like to be a police officer right now. And at the same time, we also need to be praying for our African-American friends, and in particular, the families of the two men who were shot and killed this last week. And I mentioned this a second ago, but when I saw the video on Wednesday and on Thursday, it scared me. Now hear me on this. Here's the next thought that I, that I just came to me after me feeling being, a, being scared. How much more scared would I be if I were an African-American man? And so we need to pray for this. We need to ask the Lord for help in this. We need to pray specifically for the family of Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge, for Philando Castile in Minnesota. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help our African-American friends. Um, where there is fear for the Lord to come in and heal that and help that. So where you are there now, why don't you pray for that? And then Dave Hansen is going to finish um, this section of our praying. Father, we just come before you this morning and lift up the families of these two slain black men. And Lord, uh, I am with Rodney as I watch those videos, just the grief and the destruction in those families. And while they are gone, their families are still here. And Father, I just pray that you would speak into their hearts this morning, yeah. even this very moment, that they would just hear your voice, Lord, and know that you have your arms around them. And I pray that you would just take this moment that is filled with grief and anger and fear and devastation and in some way that they would just feel your heart, Lord. This is a moment where they really need you. And Father, I just pray that as a nation as whites and blacks and Hispanics, that we would step across lines and that we would lift these families up this very moment, Father. Uh, I watched a, a video of Mr. Castile's young son, 15 years old, just weeping and sobbing uncontrollably. And just the thought of the destruction in that young man right now uh, is just deeply, deeply saddening, Lord. So I pray for that young man that you would lift him and care for him and love him this morning, put people in his life that would Carry him over this moment, Father, and help him to realize that you have plans for him and have created him uniquely and greatly as you have all of his siblings and all of his family. And Lord, as I watched those videos, I recognized in my own self just great sin. And I just stand before you as a man 
deeply grieved by my failure to love my black brothers and sisters the way that I love my own mm -hmm. race. And I just pray that you would use these moments in all of us to recognize these things have to change, Lord. We have to mm -hmm. care for our brothers and sisters the same way that we care for our own families. And uh, Lord, we are all created by you, all uniquely crafted. And I just pray that you would in, uh, lay that into our souls, help us to recognize that, Father. Mm -hmm. So I stand before you as one man, acknowledging my own sin and repenting. I pray that for each member of this church. Uh, Lord, in Second Chronicles 7, you say, if a nation would acknowledge their sin and repent, you would restore the land. So I pray that that begins this morning. And I pray that we would have the humility to recognize there is only one truth, and that is your truth, Lord, and that we would lay down our own personal truths and replace them with your truth, Father. And uh, we just stand as a body uh, in deep grief over these families. I pray that you give us your wisdom and your knowledge, Lord, and your heart. And we love you and praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. I want us to finish by praying for um, this last thing. Let's pray together that we would be a church that God might use to heal racial wounds. Man, do you want that? Gosh, I so desperately want God to use us for that. And, and if we don't, I, I want us just to hear that. If we don't want that right now and this time and this place, like right now, if we don't want that, we are likely going to miss one of the moves of God in this generation. We're likely gonna miss out on that. So Stonegate, let's be a part of that solution. Let's, let's pray that God would give us deep, deep desires to go after this, to run after this, to pursue this. And can I just tell you where it starts? It starts with people just like me and you developing deep, authentic friendships across racial lines. This is where it starts. And, and just a quick word to my white brothers in the room and sisters. When we're developing friendships with people of other ethnicities, especially minority cultures, here's the smartest and most humble thing we can do. It's to shut up and listen. That's the best thing we can do. Because we, we are coming, everybody's coming with their preconceived ideas. When we're interacting with this moment, we're all coming with, with a deep and long history of why it is that we feel the way that we feel. And until we can put ourselves into the shoes of our minority brothers and sisters, we are always going to be delivering what we feel like is truth, but it's going to have no tears in it. And until it has tears in it, it's never going to be heard. Never going to be heard until it has the sort of empathy and compassion and understanding of living in someone else's shoes, of desiring to feel what they feel, to grieve with them. So to my white friends in the room, let's be people willing to do that. And if there's not a willingness in us to go there, let's repent today and ask the Lord to give us that. And to all of my minority friends in the room, man, I wanna thank you so much for calling Stonegate your church home. I just can't even describe how thankful I am for that because I know that you are still giving up many of your preferences as you're patiently waiting for us to figure things out. And I just wanna tell you, where we are blind, we wanna see. Where we just have no idea, we wanna have an idea. We really do. And so I, I just wanna thank you from the bottom of my heart for just patiently walking beside us down this road. So there where you are, let's just pray together that God would use us that this church family for these ends. So God, would you please do this?
God, we don't want to miss what you're doing right now in this time, in this place. God, we want to be a part of that. God, and we recognize that this is a moment where this issue could have serious healing to it. And God, we want to be a church that brings the one thing to the table that could actually heal these divides. And that is the good news of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. So, oh God, would you, would you create in us humble hearts for this? God, would you give us deep, deep desires to see this through? God, help us. Help us, God. So we are going to finish now by taking communion, and that's a really intentional thing. The, the reason we're finishing our service like this is because it is a tangible reminder of the one power in the universe that has the ability to remedy this situation. That the broken body, that the slain blood of Jesus that and that alone has the gravity to pull two deeply divided peoples together. So it's a reminder of that. But communion is also a reminder that that road toward healing in this area starts in the hearts of those in this room, your personal hearts. It starts with our personal repentance, not just for sins of commission where we have actively done things to drive a wedge down, but for sins of omission, we're just because of our ignorance or negligence or lack of caring or apathy, we just haven't been proactive in addressing these things and pursuing these ends. So it starts there for us uh, with repentance. And let me remind you that communion is for those who know Jesus. So if you do not know Jesus this morning, man, what a great time for you to throw your life upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus so that you can get in on this incredibly bright future that's awaiting all the sons and daughters of God. It's also for those who are in right relationship with Jesus. So this gives us a chance to think about our own hearts for a moment, to repent in those areas where it's needed, to confess our sin to the Lord. And so when you have done that this morning, I'm gonna invite you up. We have two tables this morning um, in the front, one in the back. You can dip the bread in the juice and eat it there at the table. And that's how we're taking communion. So as you're ready this morning, we would invite you to the table. And let's pray that the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus would do its work, not only in this room, but in our country this morning. So, oh God, would you do this? God, would you bring the healing we so desperately need? And it's in your good name that we ask that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.